This episode of Cake and Kombucha is brought to you by the remnants of Maria Sharapova's career. Dare to keep a kid off drugs. Dare to keep a kid off dope. Dare to give a kid a chance. Dare to give a kid some hope. Beyond the new and welcome. Welcome beyond the new. Welcome. Welcome. This is not a musical theater podcast. You're in the right place. It's Cake and Kombucha. I'm your host, Kelechi Azie. Strap your seatbelts in. Buckle your seat. Buckle. Buckle your seatbelts because we're going to have a great show today. We've got a lot to cover. For those of you who are joining in for the first time, Cake and Kombucha is a place where I come to discuss things that are going on in the media, current events, social media, um, pop culture, things of that nature, told through the vantage point of a actress, writer, singer, black woman, weirdo living in New York City, thriving and surviving. Um, yeah. That's me. So let's get right into just some musings for the week. I was on the train today and someone came to ask for money. And if I have some, I like to give it just because everything is like cash free now. And I barely ever have cash. So I was like, oh, I have a dollar. I can give a dollar. And I saw like the people across from me, they were just like staring at me and like shocked. And I just got irritated because it reminded me of all those conversations I've had with people who are like, I don't know what they're doing with the money. And I just want to make sure it goes to the right place. And even someone I used to be friends with told me that homeless people were faking and a lot of them packed up and went to their Bentleys at night and drove away with all the change. So to that, I just want to say, when is the last time you begged for money on the subway. You probably can't think of a time. So then can we at least just say that this person is having a bad day? Right? I mean, the subway's hot. It's a place that most people avoid and take very infrequently if they can afford to do so, if they can have the luxury to live close to where they need to go normally in daily life and or a chauffeur or Uber money. I don't really think people like it. I mean, rats live there. So if someone is traveling from car to car, garnering looks of scorn from the likes of you, they're having a bad day. We could just leave it there and I'm going to give them a dollar. That's it. I don't really feel robbed. I just don't. Or I'll give a quarter sometimes. Or sometimes they ask for like food and I give a granola bar I know I wasn't ever going to eat because honestly, I really hate uh, granola bars. And it's just like, I, I keep trying to make fetch happen, but I, I still hate them. So that's it. Just, just an observation. I'm not trying to tell anybody what to do, but please don't then feed conspiracy theories to other people who are, you know, find it in their, in their wallet, find some change and find it in their heart to give. I just don't think it's a thing that should be happening to discourage other people from doing it. If, if you're in a position that is better off than someone else in that moment, you could just help them out. And then one day the same will, ha- will be returned to you. Okay. Sorry, I'm not trying to be moralistic and get on a high horse 
of any kind. Um, You'll see later I have plenty of very petty things to say about other people in the world. And let's get into them. Okay, actually, this isn't petty. This is a sincere, heartfelt, um, come-to-Jesus cry slash question slash begging for information, begging for someone to help me understand. (sighs) Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle has become a right-wing media darling overnight. Um, His comedy special has been released on Netflix, and it's essentially an hour-long tantrum in which he whines about people being too sensitive. So the secret, the secret irony there is that that makes you sensitive. Um, we're, I'm going to break it down. I'm going to break down the whole thing. But basically, what you need to know, if you want to know like the real tenor of the room, the real, the real temperature, when I Googled reviews of it, I saw right-wing papers saying that Dave Chappelle's hilarious special makes fun of liberal snowflakes and liberals hate it so you know it's funny and blah, 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 blah. And I just want to address the real distinction between being offended and something just not being funny, uh, between being offended and thinking that you're just corny and an old man that should go back into your man cave because you're yearning for days of yore. Between offended and perplexed. I think perplexed, I, I definitely was perplexed. So let's get right into it. Dave starts the show with two impersonations. And the second one, he does in a voice that's just, I'm going to read it just straight up and see if you find the humor in it. So this is, uh, I'm quoting him. I want to see if you can guess who it is I'm doing an impression of. Uh, duh, hey, duh, if you do anything wrong in your life, duh, and I find out about it, I'm going to try to take everything away from you. And I don't care what I find out. Could be today, tomorrow, 15, 20 years from now. If I find out, you're fucking duh, finished. And then he says, that's you. So pointing to his audience, but meaning, you know, collectively, society, our culture right now. So he's so sick of cancel culture. This is a big theme in the the piece. I, okay, cancel culture, I don't want to make this a huge tangent. Cancel culture, what are the problematic parts of cancel culture? They're not as many as... I, I personally don't think there's as many as other people think. I live my life in complete and total uh, security about the possibility of being canceled. Why is that? A couple reasons. Because, like, I'm not an asshole. I mean, I am sometimes, but not all the time. And, like, I know how to apologize for things. If someone really told me that something I did was hurtful or offensive, I like to think about my actions. I have self-awareness. Mo- a lot of people have these these qualities, and they don't get canceled. Of course, celebrities are under a microscope. They are. But I think the vast majority of celebrities are not canceled, and if they are, it's for two minutes, which we'll get into. So he's just very, very agitated about this. He is pissed off. I mean, if we just even want to dissect 
the, his whole impression that was supposed to sound stupid. Now that was, you know, the dur dur, that was supposed to sound dumb. So he's mocking the idea, like, so in the, in the, the dumb part is no matter when you found out or how long ago it was. So that's an, that's a favorite of, I'm going to say mostly men, mostly men that have raped and sexually harassed people, to be honest. Oh no, it's also a favorite of people with like blackface pictures and stuff. But why, I'm going to say more for the instances that you actually like hurt someone else. Why would how long ago you did it be a factor? I don't get it. Like we have a statute of limitations for legal reasons. And I'm not even going to bullshit. Like, I I mean, I am bullshitting, but I think it has to do with evidence, stuff like that. It doesn't, it's not because, you know, if you rape somebody on Tuesday of 1945, it's great. But if you do it in 1946, it's great. Like it's, it's bad. It's, it's because some certain crimes are hard to prove, right? Um, and the evidence is very delicate, sensitive, a shirt, a blouse, whatever, DNA here, DNA there. So how do then people extrapolate that? Like you, as an individual walking around, don't have culpability for things you did 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I don't understand that. I really don't. Um, and he brings up Kevin Hart into it. He brings up Louis C.K. into it. I just really want to harp on this because it's something that really bothered me with the Cosby situation too. The idea that if something was a long time ago, you're not guilty of it. I don't understand that. Like, I really don't get it. So, I mean, I think we know that 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 doesn't really make sense, but it just seems like, I mean, it's, I guess people who don't like to take responsibility for their actions, they just got settled into not taking responsibility for like 10 years. And yeah, it's a shock, but that'll mean it's not, um, I mean, the concept is not is not new. It's very old. I mean, Judeo-Christian, well, let me just say Christian. I mean, we, they, the afterlife, judgment, getting, like, there is a sense that everything you do matters. That is, it only when people get in these situations, like masturbating into plants in front of their coworkers or subordinates, do they try to, like, then you know, say that, that there's no such thing, that time is an eraser for your actions. It's weird. Okay. So he brings up Kevin Hart, who is, um, he says Kevin Hart is nearly perfect. His dream was to host the Oscars that got canceled again. He, Kevin Hart, like bless him. First of all, how, okay. I'm not going to address the being near perfect. I think that was interesting because I do know that he, cheated on his wife. And when I think of, you know, treating people well, like the people closest to you, one might consider them first. So do you treat your wife well? I don't know. But anyway, he's damn near perfect. I think he's probably a nice guy. He seems like a fun guy. However, I didn't, I just didn't get like, so he's taking the stand for Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart's whole thing was mismanaged. We know this. You, he didn't apologize at first. It doesn't matter how much you apologize later. From a PR perspective, if you do a video when people find your homophobic tweets and they found them because you just got a higher profile job than you had ever had before, the Oscars, so more people are looking you up, it's not everyone's job to remember that you apologized a couple years ago. You just repeat yourself. Just say, I've changed, I've learned, I've grown, and I apologize for those comments. Instead, he lay in bed in a wife beater, or maybe with his nipples out, and was like, 
I'm not sorry, you know, I'm not going to apologize again. I said what I said, that type of thing. I think two of those, then an apology tour. It's, it's just was mismanaged. Like, I don't, I guess his PR is not in bed with him and they can't, you know, fix it. So for Dave Chappelle not to see that, like, your friend didn't handle the situation right. And also, is he still making movies and the highest paid comedian in the world? Yes. Yes. Louis C.K., I mean, I just, like, there is a quote. There's an old Negro spiritual. I'm joking. Really, it was a meme. And it said, uh, black men are the white men of black people. I'm going to say it again. Black men are the white men of black people. Now, this is crude and crass. And yes, not all, not all, not all. Like, I mean crude and like, yes, it's generalizing. But what it means is that if black men, certain black men, they're, they're extremely invested in the patriarchy. And if they could, you know, shed the limitations of their skin, they would be doing exactly the same thing that, that white men are doing. And we see that a lot. We see that in people's responses to Me Too, basically, which Dave Chappelle says he's, um, he's tired of. He's just tired of Me Too. He's tired of Me Too. So that's, you know... Now, what does that remind you of? Does it remind you of white people that say they're tired of hearing about racism, tired of talking about this, tired of talking about the past, blah, blah, blah. It's annoying. And he says, I told you that the way you were going about it wouldn't end well. And look, now we have abortion restricted in all of these seven states and blah, blah, blah. So he's really attests that, first of all, like the, the arrogance of standing up and telling women how to run their movement. But you're really going to suggest that people shouldn't fight for more rights because there's going to be political pushback. Every single rights-giving event in history has had a historical pu- has had a pushback. I mean, after slave the slaves were released, then there was reconstruction, there was a period where they really were about to get like the 40 acres and a mule and join society and then all everything was revoked and laws about who could vote and black the black code started which led right up into Jim Crow or look we have Trump now which is largely a response to Obama like there's a contingent of people that really freaked out by about having a black president um and like more immigration and things like that so what the hell like don't try to better things because some people will be against you what an asinine thing to say um so back to this this whole this whole idea of like the proximity to white maleness and patriarchy and celebrity. He's like best friends with Louis CK, which is great. And, but he is so, so far up the dude's ass that he cannot acknowledge that nothing that bad really happened to dude. So, uh, Dave Chappelle refers to it as a masturbation accident. My friend, my best friend died in a masturbation accident. And he says that, you know, he's, first of all, he already made this joke the last time. It's like, dude, we heard you. He, of course, what people love to do is pick the one example that they can, you know, try to diminish. So he picks the time when, like, Louis, Louis C.K. was masturbating on the phone with um, his coworker on the other, not, co- I keep saying coworker. I mean, these are people that, women that worked for him, that were scared to speak up, that were scared they would get ostracized by Ding, 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 the most powerful people in comedy 
which is Dave Chappelle and his friends. And so he was masturbating on the phone with like someone on the other end. That's just one of the many instances, but it's the one that Dave fixates on because he wants to make it seem less harmful. And he's like, you can't even go to jail for that. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't think you can go to jail for like certain sexual harassment things, but you can get fired. And certainly like getting on the phone with someone you who works under you and making uh, uh, noises and making them stay on is not only truly bizarre, but fireable. So like, again, you're diminishing it and they're taking everything to the um, degree where it seems unreasonable, like jail. That is just a tactic to, I mean, diminish stuff. So I was just confused about that. And then also like for a second, I want to say that it's really weird. And if your friend like masturbates in front of people all the time that didn't ask and people just thought it was gross and stopped wanting to work with him because of that, that would be okay too. Like, not only is it abusive of women, the stuff that he did, people also have a right to have opinions about, like, weird shit that you do, and people fire people from morality clauses all the time, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, flash to here we are now, a year, a year and a half later, I think, Louis C.K.'s cancellation consisted of getting dropped by some representatives, some deals ending, and... He's doing comedy again right now, and he's still worth millions and millions of dollars. I want to I share with you um, someone else who got dropped by their representation. Me! I have a new one now, but all of the people that I know have been dropped by their representation at some point, and we did not masturbate onto anything. So t- the idea that this like amazingly successful extremely wealthy and influential man needs sympathy because people called him out for a thing. I don't understand it. And I would love for somebody to make me understand it. I mean, to be honest, I think the part of call out cancel culture that hurts the most is like the embarrassment probably. Like I think Aziz Ansari was really for someone that did not sexually assault someone exactly was dragged under the mud and 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 like things like and I'm not saying he didn't deserve it I'm just saying it's embarrassing like yeah I'm a human I I get like how that's really embarrassing but I mean sometimes you're embarrassed I mean we used to that's why we used to like flog people in in the town square sometimes people judging you helps you straighten up your shit a little bit when when it's out in the open so that's, you know, he's, he's just, you know, celebrity. He said it's celebrity hunting season. He said that. And it's just what an interesting idea that celebrity is something that you are entitled to that once it's given to you should never be taken away in any fashion. So like the worst thing that could happen to these people, I guess, is like not being famous because they're still rich, right? not performing your craft. That that didn't happen. That hasn't happened for anyone I can think of yet. So not being famous. And so he it's like he sees celebrity as some immutable state. It's like his race or something. And he that's that's who he is now. So anyone who is criticized at all in the media, he is going to he's going to take up for them. The, and the part I want to understand is like, how do people not see the irony in calling us sensitive for criticizing you? If you 
like want to just do you, that's great. But anyone can think anything they want to think about it. Like, it's funny because before I'd even watched this special, I was um, Ariana Grande's ex-boyfriend, Pete Davidson, who's supposed to have the big... He cussed out some university like two days ago. You fucking privileged bitches, da 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 da. Like, because they were like, I don't know. I don't even think they were heckling. They were just like a little bit talking amongst themselves. I, comedians have to be the most sensitive performers of all time. Like, I don't understand why they are, like, they expect so much from their audience. And, Maybe it has to do with the fact that they're laughing or not laughing. I, I don't know. I just, this this strange stat, status that they want where they can't be criticized at all. And, you know, if you don't like their comedy, you just don't get it. And if you, they're offensive and don't want you to perform on your college campus. Okay, I shouldn't say if they're offensive. If a certain undergraduate population finds what you said offensive and doesn't want you to perform on the college campus, you're oppressed now. Like, really get a grip and grow up. Stop whining. And I I challenge you to a duel. Can you write jokes that are not about gay people and rape? And I, f- I feel like if you, if you didn't, you probably could get into a lot of universities. You know, you, you just is a creative writing exercise. So... This whole woe is me thing is like so strange to watch. And let's see, whatever, what what else do we have to go over? Oh, um, okay, I don't even want to get into the pedophilia jokes about finding Neverland. Um, and I don't have to, I'm not like offended. I'm just like, my nose is just turned up like, oh, that was in poor taste. I just think people don't understand the difference between like going and crying about something in the corner and just being like, okay, gross. Like not my thing. Like, okay. First of all, yes. Some people are offended. Sure. But though any reaction that's not praise has, is getting turned into offended. You're a snowflake. I mean, there is just nothing more snowflakey than feeling like you're under attack when you got paid $60 million to do a comedy special Three, I think, for sixty million for the three, your, comedians are getting paid more than they ever have been at any moment in time, and your people paid eighty and ninety dollars for you to sit and tell them that they suck. I don't understand what you are afraid of. Who have you raped in the past, Dave? Who have you molested in the past, Dave? Who have you ran over with your Mack truck, Dave? Who is buried underneath your stairs? Like what? are you scared of? You haven't been canceled yet from all the crazy shit you say. And like, I think he wants to be canceled. He wants to like make a point, like toe the line, you know? So now I'm going to joke about kids getting raped and say that Michael Jackson should have picked this kid to rape. Like, yes, he said that. He did say that. And, you know, said like, you should be lucky to be molested by Michael Jackson. Like he said, how many of us in this room have been molested before? I bet you wasn't molested by no Michael Jackson. I mean, it's just like, okay, if that's how you want to, I mean, his, his point was he didn't believe the, um, the abuser, the Michael Jackson accusers, which I'm not even going to get into that. Um, but he did, he does believe R. Kelly, which is like, okay, I don't, I don't really care about your opinions that much. I mean, that's the thing. Like I, I just, I don't care about his opinions. He used to be a voice that was 
somewhat important in the culture. And I think this comedy special, it really reframes when he suddenly exited the industry. Um, he probably just was like, I'm, I'm so famous. I'm so famous. Like, I don't know. I don't think he's like some activist or whatever we thought before. Like a lot of black men and this is, I'm not coming for black men. I'm just coming for men. They can only see as far as their, uh, <laughs> I was going to say Dick. That's rude. Um, what I'm trying to say is like, they can wax poetical and eloquent about, the racial confines of America and completely leave women out of it. Like we just, we just don't exist in some of these equations. And so I think that explains why someone like Dave Chappelle could come up with great comedy in the past, like Clayton Bigsby and all of that funny shit. And then just now that people, other people are getting a spotlight, like other, you know, gender identifications and other sexualities and things that groups, aggrieved groups that do not include him, he is pissed and so paranoid. And it's just so sad. Like what, when do you just feel happy that you are rich? Like when do you just feel accomplished that you sell out arenas? Like I am telling, oh, I just, I'm glad I'm in therapy and I will stay in, I'm getting in it before I go to Hollywood and I will stay in it. This is my pledge to all of you so that I'm not caught out here saying dumb shit like this. Okay. And then somewhat predictably, well, you would just wouldn't think someone would told him to stop being boring. He continued his complete obsession with the LGBT community. He's obsessed. Obsessed. So he started with that early into the set. He he gave a joke, which is now making the rounds on the internet and is supposed to be clever, but isn't if you really think about it. So he says that he when he was doing the Chappelle show... He went into like the board of ethics for the network and they called him in the place where they kind of like tell you what you can't and can put into your skits. And the lady was like, hey, you know, I love what you did. Your skits are great, but there's no way you can say the F word. And he's like, "Okay, all right, I'll take it out. And so then he said he was walking out and then he turned around and asked her, well, why is it I can say nigger with such impunity? but I can't say the word F word. And she says, well, Dave, because you're not gay. And then he goes, well, hold on. I'm not a nigger either. Now, at first, it's funny. But at the same time, as soon as it starts, it's hotepi. Like, it's hotepi. Because it hearkens to that paranoid obsession that Hotep and just even some non-Hotep black straight men have that gay people are just white men. Like they are like, oh, the gays. And they just mean white men. They're like, they get, you know, whenever they're hurt, this happens and they can do this and they have their movements and no one can insult them. And they those, those people that pit gays against black people as if there aren't LGBT black people who are getting killed at the highest rate of any other demographic in the country. So it's not a competition between us. So I just thought that was like, I was like, oh, so as soon as he started talking, I was like, oh, this, and maybe that's why I was able to hear the joke in a more clear headed manner. 
So afterwards, I was like, okay, well, the reason that this isn't actually as well constructed as people think is because gay people are not the F word. So he says, I'm not a nigger. Well, a gay person isn't the F word. Like if, you know, the slur word, it's like nigger is to F word as black person is to gay person. So then it's not balanced out. So you're basically saying that all the gay people are the F word. Do you get it? Do you get it? Because he didn't ask, how come I can't say gay? He said, how come I can't say the F word? And then the, the intense insincerity of wondering why you can't use another ethnic group slur is just, we have to stop playing this game. We have to stop playing this nigga nigga game. We have to stop. Black people, we are not the only people that call each other a bad name. I guess we're the only people that make the most popular music in the world. So maybe that's why people are pissed. We just really need, I guess we just need to address it from like the entertainment perspective. Cause I'm honestly like, why do people want to say nigger so bad? Like, I don't get it. But anyway, I, I just don't, I can't believe that he would think that he can say that, but that it's cool for him to say that. Um, but like, it, it just seems like he's detracting from the whole, you know, our whole argument for how we or any other oppressed group reclaims words. And then for the, the rest of it, he had a whole thing about the alphabet people, which was almost funny at first because it said, oh, you might not know this. They're all different movements. It's like, yes, yes, nigga, we know. We know because we didn't stay in a cave in Ohio for 10 years. We know gay people and lesbians and trans people. Like, you might not know this, but they have different movements. So he was like saying that you know, he included stereotypes about how gay men and lesbians are just don't really get along. And so everyone gets in the car and he said that the trans person is sitting in the back and the trans person, the T, he calls it the T and he calls them the alphabet people. And he's like, the T wanted to, I don't remember what it was, go to the bathroom and keep stopping for the bathroom, which obviously is a harken is a reckon uh, is a harkens to the the bathroom debate. The T wants to go to the bathroom and the rest of the car is like, but wait a minute, like you're slowing the ride down. I almost thought that he was being like incisive about something because that was kind of accurate. Like a, there is friction between transgender people and the rest of the LGBTQ community. You know, someone shouted down a trans woman at the stone at Stonewall, this pride who was like getting up to speak. So I almost thought he was kind of you know, just being a little deep, like, yes, there is this thing of, oh, trans people, we don't know what to do with you. And if you would just step to the side, then gay, you know, gay white men, especially gay, you know, straight presenting men that don't act feminine could just slip into, you know, living in Chelsea, having French bulldogs and having high powered, being high powered executives. And, you know, we just slip into the rest of society without issue, but then trans people have to come along and slow the whole movement down. So I thought that was almost going to be like incisive or something. And then he said, but he said that, then he just starts talking about how being trans is funny again. You have to admit it's funny to be stuck in the wrong body. What if I said I was stuck in the wrong race and I was Chinese? And then he did a horrible like cross-eyed Chinese impression. I was just like, are we like in kindergarten? 
where is the level of discourse here? I was just like, okay, wow. So yeah, he just mocks trans people directly, says their whole existence is funny. And he, he, I have black friends, the whole situation. He prefaces, I have gay friends before every, um, before every, everything he says. <laughs> oh, remember that celebrity thing, Dave? Uh, would those gay friends be hanging out with you if you weren't rich? Like, wow. Um, I think this pretty much wraps up everything I have to say about that. It wasn't funny. No, let me just give one more drag. So at the end of the show, he even has jokes that are so predictable, like I was saying them out loud before he said it. He said that he grew up poor. And then he asked his dad, like, Dad, I hate being poor. Why, you know, why are we poor? And his dad said, son, poor is a mentality. Poor is a mentality that you do not have to have. You are not poor. You're broke. Yeah, you're broke. That's what I said. I said it before. I was like, you're not poor, you're broke. Like, is this from the school bus? I don't know. Um, yeah, that's my take on it. I would love to hear what you think. And I'm not saying that you can't laugh at it. And I even snickered at some of the Michael Jackson jokes. He, oh, I don't even want to repeat it. There was, okay, I thought it was the, he said, uh, he said, that'll teach the kids that there's no free trip, no such thing as a free trip to Hawaii, which made me chuckle a little bit. It's super dark. It's just super dark, but it's about the reckoning that children and women and anyone has to go through about someone being out there to snatch their, uh, snatch their their innocence, their personhood. And it's just like a fact of life. It's a depressing fact of life. And that was a little bit amusing to me. So I snickered there. And so my point in saying, sharing that is that you're not an asshole if you laughed at all. I mean, laughing is beautiful and I try to find a way to laugh at everything, but I just want us to think a little bit about who is delivering things, what their motive is and the actual structure and content. Um, I just, I, I just don't like the, the prospect of someone successful and rich lecturing us about his other rich white friends or Kevin Hart and how people were mean to them, but then calling us oversensitive is weird because consumers can do what they want. And if they don't like you anymore, then you might not be famous anymore. That's just, that's just what it is. Nobody went to jail. So I don't understand why you feel oppressed. But it seems like you are the one who wants people to be censured. And that is just bizarre. And so, yeah, now the right-wing media is saying the snowflakes are triggered, even though they watched a whole hour of somebody whining and ranting like they do and didn't see the irony in that. And that's the part that really, when I think about stuff like that, it scares me because I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know how we're going to close the the gap between conservatives and liberals. And I'm making a huge leap here, but the left and the right, you know, we're labeled as the people that care too much about a lot of stuff, but we speak out and complain and they can't handle it. If we were, you know, in an ideal world, like everyone could like cancel each other and they cancel each other out, I guess. Like say what you want and we'll respond in kind. Say what you want, we'll respond the way we should. The punishment will fit the crime. Some of you are going to get fired. Very few of you are going to go to jail. Some people just get flamed on the internet. Like why? I don't, I don't think the cancel system is that broken, but, um, yeah, he really 
did a lot to ingratiate himself with people who don't have his best interest at heart and are holding him up as a mascot now, like they did for Kanye. And I just think this is like a huge step backwards for him. And I hope that he finds his, his self because something, something ain't right. Hide your kids, hide your wives, hide your husbands, because Alan Omar is taking them. <laughs> Am I ready? Am I ready for my comedy special yet? Am I ready? So this is new news. Um, it's all unfolding right, right now. But uh, Maryland woman Beth Wynette has filed for divorce on Tuesday, citing Alan Omar as the reason. Uh, allegedly... And by allegedly, I mean it's in the divorce papers. It's in legal papers. And this woman is a doctor, internist. Um, So this is not like he says, she said, I heard. No, it's in her divorce papers. Her husband, Timothy Wynette, is a political strategist. And he told her, allegedly, that he was in love with Alon and leaving her. And she begged him to try to... You know, go to counseling, couples counseling, reconcile somehow, start anew. And he said there was nothing she could do to change his mind. Um, he is cited in her divorce papers as not spending a lot of time with the kids that she thought was work-related, but now she knows is work-related. <laughs> is my comedy special ready yet? So I just, I mean, Alonomar is a bad bitch, first of all. Like, she's stunning, and part of me is kind of amused by the way that she runs through these hoes. Um, That is not the same side of me that doesn't condone adultery. That's just the side of me that, dare I say, is a little irreverent. Dare I say I have a naughty sense of humor, too. Dare I say I'm not a sensitive snowflake. Yeah, she'd be running through hoes. Like, her husband that she's married to now, she already divorced once, and got back with him and in between she had another person and I googled one of them and they were fine like she be now this Timothy Wynette uh dude is not he isn't but they have been photographed together they have uh, she went out to dinner with him and his son two days before he announced that he was leaving his wife and she gave her son a gift and people have, I mean, there's the photos of them out different places are around. I actually saw a couple weeks ago, I mean, there's pictures of them holding hands and no, no, I'm lying. Not holding hands, walking side by side down the street. And there were rumors of the affair, but this uh, divorce thing, I'm, I'm telling you guys now, cause it's, it's real right now. Um, what can we say about this? It's, her her husband, uh, she did get interviewed and ask, like, are you separated from your husband? And she said, no, I have three beautiful children and a beautiful family. I am not at all interested in any of this talk about my personal life anymore. And I'm going to focus on my family and the work that is my calling. Booyakasha! Yeah, uh, I I just, I'm so intrigued by how every part of your life could be so shambolic and you stand so tall. Like she is just, she's a force. She's a force. She's so unconventional. I mean, she's Muslim. She's the first person to wear a hijab in Congress, not the first person to wear a hijab. And 
her personal life is also not straightforward. Um, it's not neat. She doesn't have that family package in a bow. I mean, I don't think, well, or I th- actually, she had a kid with her first husband, and then I think the one she's married to now, and then she divorced him, and then I think she had more kids. So I don't even, I don't know if they're half siblings or whatever, but it's still in in some senses a blended family or a family that's been through a lot. And, and you know, now she might be having an affair. I, I'm just kind of intrigued to see how this plays out and if we're going to treat this affair how we treat other people's affairs. I mean, to be honest, we have treated affairs kind of harshly. Well, Democrats do. Um, I feel like the Republicans can, you know, they can be caught in the, the uh, anti-gay Republicans can be caught with meth and uh, a, a teenage boy hooker in the hotel room and nothing happens. But for us, we have we have censured people. We have punished them with our moral senses pretty harshly in the past. So it's just kind of like crazy that she would even do this. Like, she's an interesting person at the very least, right? Like, she is an interesting, interesting person. And because she's so interesting and of color and has said things that people don't like, she has a new death threat against her. Just in the past 24 hours, someone tweeted that you will not be going back to Washington. Your life will end before your vacation ends. And the letter, this letter also said, you won't die alone. And a very capable person with a very big gun will target her at the Minnesota State Fair. This is so awkward. It sounds like Trump wrote it himself. A very capable person. Is, is that how we describe mass shooters as capable and, and talk about how big their guns are? Like as if some bullets are more deadly than other bullets. Oh, this hate threat is a mess. Do better. Do better. Whoever wrote that, do better. I I will just update. This is just a story to watch and see what happens next. But it's kind of crazy because the divorce is, you know, that's that's there's public papers out now and sort of confirms that it's true. Help Help them kids Give them the strength to sit crack in the playground. Serena Williams beat Maria Sharapova at the U.S. Open. Uh, She went to the second round, and this was the 19th straight time. Serena beat her 6-1, to like a bad bitch does, and people are celebrating. I'm celebrating. I cannot stand Maria Sharapova. I'll never forgive her for that dumb memoir she wrote where she dragged Serena into it. She did a classic textbook oh, black women are so big and scary, you know, tirade. She wrote that Serena is so big and tall, she looms over you. Serena is literally three inches shorter than Maria Sharapova. Like, just gnaw, sink your teeth into that for a minute. That blackness will make you taller than a bitch. Sink your teeth into that. But that's what I do. We all deal with this kind of thing every day. And said that, you know, she's just so big and strong and scary and all the bullshit. It's it's just like she tried to carve her whole relevance and definition out of someone she has beaten twice in the past. And that was 15 years ago. So beaten only twice. And that was 15 years ago. And still considers her some sort of a rival. Girl, you're number 89. How are you? Like, that's not your running buddy. Okay? So... She also was coming for Serena 
And it's like she just wants to define herself as the opposite and lean into the fact that she's skinny and white and that Trump would probably like to date her because she's from Eastern Europe. She uh, said that she doesn't lift weights. She never, she was literally quoted as saying like, I can't lift anything larger than five pounds. It's just annoying. So you can't take your groceries home? I'm confused. It's just, if you see someone who's so big, black, and scary, and they beat your ass into a freaking pulp every time they play you, maybe you should lift a damn weight too, because honestly, she's the only athlete I've ever seen that I can't even detect nary a tricep or a bicep muscle. Like, her arms look like a layperson's arms. I don't know, maybe you would, like, hit the ball with more power if you were more powerful. I mean, I weight training is not is not common for tennis, but Serena does it. You call yourself trying to beat her. So just as an experiment, I mean, you could try to do some stuff that she does. I mean, you can't win. You can't do that thing that she does. Okay. That dragging. Oh, also she was uh, censured for a year. Uh, she couldn't play for 15 months actually for f- having a, uh, performance enhancing drug, an illegal performance enhancing drug in her system. So again, what's going on, sis? You are taking drugs. And meanwhile, Serena has spoken about how uh, she gets randomly, like the the board or agency that that oversees the testing, the drug testing for the, the athletes, she, they come to her house and surprise her at all hours. They, you know, she's like, I'm breastfeeding my baby. Leave me the fuck alone. Like they are really trying to catch her doing something wrong when she's not been doing anything except like, it's just, it's, I shouldn't be surprised because it reminds me of how um, when I was in high school, I got really good grades. I was a good student. I was the person that teachers would sit me next to people to be a good influence on them. It was always like some cute boy and then I had a crush on him at the end. But this that's, that's the person I was. So I always got straight A's, perfect scores on tests and stuff. And people would be like, Al Kalachi, what did you get? I'm just trying to get as high as you get. And, and you know revered and hated. And the only thing that saved me from being like total nerd is that I'm, I mean, I'm not socially awkward. I'm kind of not a nerd and I perform music. So that was my like way to be cool. Like anyway, um, after all this, you know, after years of this, and I went to school, my school is five through 12. So these people, I've known them forever. And I remember after I got my college acceptance letter from Princeton, which is where I went to school, I was sitting next to a boy in class, a white guy, who, this is in AP statistics, my math teacher had sat me next to this guy so that I could help him. And he said to me about my college acceptance, God, I wish I was a black woman. Now, I tell that story, and I even like this guy. I did like him. Like, I don't hate him, but I tell this story to illustrate that not just, like, and I've all the allies, the white allies listening who listen to Cake and Kombucha, we love you, I love you, and I want, I mean, honestly, like, my friends are woke enough that they understand subtlety, like, I love you guys, but for other people who are just foring into thinking about social justice and things like that, I want you to think about that story hard because it's not just like a racist thing. It's not just like, oh, that was rude. It's the fact that you can be doing something for 
10, 12 years. And, and my school even went into, my school was also like first through fourth also. It was like a feeder school to the five through 12 school. So some people have known me, you've known me almost my whole life and I've been the same person and now I'm tutoring you. But when I get something that is not totally surprising for someone with that track record, you tell me it's because of my race. That is the part that I want to address because Serena Williams, why she's not on drugs. They've they've been doing she's been doing this since she was wearing beads in her hair. So like you keep trying to find different reasons that someone is successful or good at what they do. They're plainly just super they're they are strong, not in a scary way. They're strong, they're muscular, they're fitter than you. They work out all the fucking time, they put the work into it. And you know this, and you've watched her from ch- from the time she was a, ch- a teenager, I mean, like a kid, and you still don't believe that she deserves the success she has obviously created for herself, or has, or and you think it's like ill-gotten. That is what racism does. That is a kind of erasure that racism does, and you know, any of the people that say all this stuff, would, including like my old classmate, would say, "I'm not racist," but you you have, you kind of are, you have absorbed that from society. Um, like he said, a similar comment about my little sister going to Cornell. And I was just like, I don't get it. Your grades are horrible. Why did you think like, I was just, I mean, it was, it was shocking. Like, honestly, I was like, oh, okay. Now my nerd pass is revoked. Now y'all are going to like try to include me in shit and not like Oscar size me. Like, okay, I'm, I'm lost. So it's the Serena issue is so close to me and many other black women's heart. And that's why we lift her up. And especially that she's out here representing thick girls, thick girls who are fit, which seems to be just some sort of like mental equation that people cannot understand and then have to try to like tear down. So she was wearing a bodysuit, a black bodysuit with shorts and they were short shorts, but no, not like volleyball shorts. They were like the kind of shorts that people run around in or, lift weights in and stuff like that. And people were like, that's so inappropriate for the tennis. I was going to say wear a fucking tutu, but she has done that before. I mean, this tennis thing, because anyone ever thought about how ridiculous, ridiculous it is that you're running around in a skirt. There's no other situation in life in which you're supposed to wear a skirt and just run around and like spread your legs really far apart. The skirts are stupid. Like, abolish them before you try to come for her because they don't make no sense. So anyway, the next great part of this um, ass-whooping, this ass-whooping salad is that Serena Williams' husband wore a dare shirt to the U.S. Open. If you guys don't remember what dare was or you're uh, older than that time or younger than that time, Dare stood for drugs, drug abuse, resistance education. Did I make that up? No, I didn't make it up. I remembered. So Dare was a program started in the 90s for like elementary school and middle schoolers. Um, originally, cops used to go in and talk to kids about not using drugs, and the idea was to raise their self-esteem so they didn't use drugs. Um, there is a well-regarded study that showed that it increased uh, students likelihood to do drugs, but at best there was no evidence found that the, it really helped reduce habits much. 
Um, if anything, I do remember it making drugs sound like they were going to like hide under my bed or that someone was going to shove them up my nose. Um, no one, no one taught us that some of them are quite expensive and used at fancy parties and you, you don't, you don't have the easiest access to them. They really made it sound like people were just going to be on the playground after school, giving them to you for free. And I was paranoid about them. I was this, I was really, I was probably in elementary school. This might not have been dared. There's this other thing we had. And I remember that I was so like confused about drinking and driving that my parents took us through the drive-thru at McDonald's and got coffee. And I was like, no drinking and driving, mom and dad. I mean, cause they just called it drinking. Can you imagine, can you, who, whoever did that was not a childhood um, education specialist. Kids don't know that drinking means drinking, you know, they just drink juice and milk. So they just launched into like drinking, teaching us a like kind of, I, I wouldn't like vernacular or I don't know what you would call it. Um, when a verb that means a regular thing also means like something else, a capital D thing. But anyway, they just, they just launched into it. And I don't think I was the only one who was confused about this. So then I was just stressed out anytime I saw my dad drinking beer after work, which was like one Heineken sometimes. And I wanted to like throw them out of the freezer. Like I thought drinking meant any, well, first I thought it meant any liquid. And then once that was clarified by my parents are the ones who had to clarify me, not, you know, not school. Then I thought it meant any, just like drinking alcohol at all. It's, it was, it's intense and, um, it makes drugs sound exciting. I'm just going to be plain spoken about that. So anyway, her husband wore the dare shirt to troll Sharapova because of her, um, like how she was expelled from, from, for the drug use. And I was, I just have to say that I'm continually so impressed by him and them as a couple. Like I thought it took time for husbands to become like the super Saiyan corny dad level at like, I thought it was after years and years that your personalities blend together into one and you start wearing matching straw hats and, and button downs to go on vacation. And you pick your kids up from school wearing flip-flops with socks, things like that. I mean, this is like, he, he skipped years of togetherness to be like, look, I am my wife. My wife is me. If you come for her, you come for me, but not even in a, you have to really, as I feel like as a straight man, you have to really, really hate someone to use, um, like shade, you know, like, I feel like they really get into, they, men are more apt to just like get into fights. And a lot of times they leave any, you know, any conflict between two women to women, and they're like, oh, you know, that's ladies' business and da-da-da. Like, you guys figure it out. You had to really hate someone as a dude to do something that is, like, backhanded and symbolic. And I stan. I stan. Thank you. Congratulations, Alex. Um, he's a white dude. Again, for those of you who didn't know, Serena has also been dragged for marrying a white man. But she's also... Well, so many men, people in the black community sometimes say that she looks like a man. So it's like, what are you supposed to do? Not marry the person that clearly worships the ground that you walk on, even if they happen to be a different race. The person who is learning how to do cornrows in front of America, 
I think I think I think they're gonna be all right. Everyone wants an arch nemesis. After all, life is pretty boring without someone to hate and compare yourself to. But sometimes it can be hard to tell who's the yin to your yang or the ugly side of the penny that is your life. That's where Rivala steps in. Rivala's patented technology binds to your relevancy molecules and tunes into the fuck's given frequency. After just one week on Rivala, subjects were able to detect who, if anyone, in their sphere of influence gave any fucks about them at all. Our subjects were then easily able to select someone who gave a few fucks about them, create a secret obsession, and wage a petty war. Memoirs, interviews, anything is fair game. Isn't it fun? Rivala is not for everyone. Before you prescribe Rivala, your doctor will administer a short test with questions like, are you talented? Have you won any tennis matches against your rival in the past 15 years? If you answer no to any of these questions, you're in luck. Rivala can help you find someone in your field with a similar level of accomplishment to hate on. It eliminates any delusions of grandeur and you will stop coming for people who didn't send for you. Patients awaiting their home delivery of Rivala should not write books alleging that they have a strong rivalry with someone who's beat their ass 19 times in a row and doesn't care about them. Rivala, send your delusions away and find an enemy on your level today. Now this is a story all about how I'm white so I don't face repercussions at work, and let me go right into it. Um, yeah, Oklahoma City, a news anchor is uh, crying on TV. I'm not going to say under fire. I'm just going to say crying on TV about calling her co-anchor a gorilla. So the context, as if we anyone deserves it, the context is the, they were looking at a clip of the Oklahoma City Zoo of a very curious gorilla that kind of had his face right, like pressed right up into the camera lens. And as they were fading into a commercial, this blonde Aryan beauty says to her cute little chocolate drop co-host, he kind of looks like you. And he's like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, he, he does. Which just, it broke my heart. It broke my heart that you have to be put on the spot like that when people, because it happens all the time when people say really racist or inappropriate things and you're just like, what do I do in this moment? I can't blow anyone's spot up and you have to protect them. So he just said, oh yeah, yeah, it, it does. So the letters and everything blew up and the next day she addressed it by crying, crying so hard on stage. And I just, she said, sorry, she hurt people. She didn't know. She said, you're my best friend. And when I say you're my best friend, I don't mean that, you know, we just talk at work. I mean, we hang out after work. We talk every day. Like you're my best friend for a year. I'm like, you didn't have any friends before a year ago, girl. So she just was, you know, crying and said that she was sorry and I want to propose a law that forbids people from crying during their apologies for things like this. You are very, you are obscuring the fact of the person who was actually insulted. He should be crying because he was humiliated racially and facially. I don't get why you are crying. I mean, I, I 
you're crying because you're upset, but you're, you're crying because you're upset that a bunch of people are mad at you. You're not crying because you hurt your friend. You're crying because you got called out. That's what I believe. And it's not a way of expressing sympathy for me, for the aggrieved party. And I wish people would stop doing it. So he graciously, and I'm going to put like a pin in the graciously, said he accepted her apology, you know, every, you know, you're my best friend too. However, this was not okay. We need to address it. We need to learn why it's not okay before you move on, blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's fine. She's obviously not getting fired. And him, he's still going to have her as a best friend? Um, yeah, I just, I feel like you could go pick up some better friends from the friend factory. My friends have never told me I look like an animal. Not once. Not one single time has a friend of mine told me I look like an animal. And I don't believe for one second that this bitch did not know that it's wrong to call black people monkeys. Michelle Obama was called, drawn as a gorilla famously in, I forget what paper. Most black people I know have been called a monkey before it's, or been around someone called a monkey. I remember being, yeah, someone called my dad a monkey with me before. I mean, it's not a secret slur. And you live in Oklahoma City, which I believe had slaves, some slaves. So, yeah, I just, I continue to be disgusted at what it takes to get fired from your job versus what it takes to get fired from, you know, McDonald's. Like people are fired so much more easily from lower profile, lower paying jobs than people in these public arenas that do dumb stuff. You could get a new person the next day. And that's honestly, I don't... Nothing's going to happen to her. Let's just move on. All right, guys, that's it for another episode of Cake and Kombucha. But before I go, I want to leave you with this. Apparently, director Joel Schumacher, who directed St. Elmo's Fire, Batman Forever, has announced on the record that he's had sex with between 10,000 and 20,000 people. Um, His interviewer said, that's amazing. And he said... It's not for a gay male because it's available. So I'm not gay, but I'm going to I'm going to put it out there that 10,000 to 20,000 people is impressive. And I also have a large question mark about how you gave a range of 10,000. Like it could be 10,000 or 20,000. If anything, let this be a lesson that we should all Go out and get our get ours, because you can't really be a hoe when people are out there having sex with twenty thousand people. All right, that's it for cake and kombucha. Please rate and review on Apple. That's how the algorithm pushes me towards the top, and I can get more listeners, so I can keep doing this and find out what you guys like. Hit me up at Kelezie, K E L E Z I E, on Instagram or Twitter. Or you can email me at cakeandkombucha at gmail.com. Cake and Kombucha is produced and hosted by actress, writer, and singer Kelechi Azie. It features music by the talented Melanie J.B. Charles. If you like what you hear, check out melaniejbcharles.com. 